0: He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo. And then Ronaldo. Oh! What a
1: goal by Cristiano Ronaldo. Sensational. Fernando Silva. Smacks in City second.
0: Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. Tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe, 2016. Hello and welcome to episode number eight of the Portuguese Football Show, brought to you by Proxima Jonada, and as always hosted by myself, Adam Barton, and I'm joined again, as always, by my guest Philippe Mel. And we kick this week's show off by focusing firstly on the Premier League and. A battle that myself and Philippe we've spoken about at length on this podcast before, the relegation battle. We keep coming back to it, and uh, we keep expecting the table to to change and for some of those teams to uh, drop off and the other teams to climb the table. But it just continues to stay so so tight. An eighteen team league, and you've got from ninth right down to eighteenth, uh, are separated by what just two victories, you know, six points. Is just um, it's just absolutely astounding. Just to run through the table, uh, going in reverse order from 18th upwards. We've got Maritimo on 21 points, Bovista on 21 points, Nacional on 21 points, friends 22, Familical 23, Portomanent 23, Gil Vicente 25, Tondela 25, Belenin 26, and then Crioav 27. Morinense on 30 in 8th, and Santa Clara on 32 are more towards the european places so as we said on the last podcast they're not too much of a worry but it is crazy to think that any one of those sides could could drop into it a lot of the teams are going through really rough patches at the moment and we thought we'd come back to the relegation battle as it's it's now 10 games left in the season uh, 24 games played so this is the real crunch time now. This is the time when teams need to start picking up points and picking them up fast. We'll be obviously going through the games that occurred this weekend involving those sides at the bottom. Some really big victories for the likes of Ferenc and Fimilko. Uh But Philippe, what are you making of it? I know we've spoke at length about it, but nothing seems to be changing. <laughs> there seems to be, if not more and more, teams that are getting caught up in this relegation whirlwind.
1: Yeah, it's another prediction that we made that we completely failed. Because five weeks ago, you are talking about in, when it's 10 games left to go, there will be a much more clear picture. And actually, it looks even more confusing now than, he, than what he did back then. Because half of the league is fighting for their place. Looking at the table, and the question for you is, how many points do you think will be enough to keep a team safe? Because normally it goes around between 32 points, but... Honestly, because it's so confusing this year and this year we don't have a team that gets beaten by almost everyone like I uh, last year. I think we'll be, we're will be we going to have to be a bit more. I'm looking around maybe 33, 34 points to keep a team
0: safe. I'd be inclined to agree with you. You know, as you say, you usually have that like 31, 32 point benchmark. But as you say, there's usually a team in the league which is uh, pretty much a guaranteed three points. And we just haven't got that this season. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of teams down there who haven't won a lot of games, but in those relegation classes against each other, they're all taking points off each other, which is sort of, you know, if you're a team in 17th or 16th or 15th, you're the, the best way for you to pick, pick up points is to beat, you know, the team. For example, if you're friends in 15th, the best way for you to give yourself a chance of staying up is by beating those teams in 16th, 17th, and 18th. But what we're finding this season is that uh, the bottom place team, you know, will go out and beat someone in 12th. And then the team in 13th will lose to the team in 16th. And then and the order just keeps moving around. And, and as I say, we've got three, everyone in the relegation spots. Uh, and, and bear in mind that this season is. is um, Portugal have adopted the the Bundesliga style playoff uh, and the old Premier League style playoff of 18th and 17th are automatically relegated and then 16th will play a relegation a playoff to determine their status against the second division team uh, who enter the playoff. So that's very interesting but yeah I'd, I'd I'd probably say they'd have to pick up a couple more points maybe 34 or 35 points. It's just, I mean, we'll get straight into the games because there were some big clashes between some of the teams involved. The first one that I want to go to is Maritimo at home in Madeira on a, on a run of form where they really need to, to to start picking up form. And their last game on the, on the 12th of March was, was a victory. They won in the derby against Nacional, a team who were also in... You know, abysmal form so I mean it's a game that really did have went into and thought right off the back of a win for Milikau come come into it on the back of a draw a very good draw at that with Braga but uh, it wasn't to be and it was it was a demolition job from for Milikau they ended up winning 4-0 these two games in six goals scored as I say the last game was really impressive 2-2 with Braga just completely changed the fortunes. I know it's only been two games, but Felipe, you looking at someone like Familiar as a team who you think entered in these last ten games with the new manager manager in charge, who's clearly a talented coach. We know that. It, do you see them as as one of the teams who will sort of safely make it to mid table?
1: Yeah, no doubt. We spoke about almost every week how good the squad from Familiacom, um actually is. So, and now with the with the better coach, in what Listis least his job has been doing, is is always showing very good results. And even in a few training sessions, the game they played against praga last week was it was so much better than what Famalicão have been doing until then. And today, and today uh, against Marítim was the same thing. They they were so so superior against um, against Marítim. Marítim that they changed their coach as well uh, with uh, Velásquez coming in. His first game was against Nacional, which they won in, a, in the derby. But today they completely uh, got a rollover. Um, so I think Familiacan will be safe. Marítimo, on the other hand, uh, people like Velásquez a lot, the way he plays, because he likes to play fo- attractive football, keeping the ball. But, but most of the times he, he plays in a team that's not confident enough to do it. And his two jobs he had in Portugal before was Stubal and Bulnes. And they end up being the same thing, which is a team that likes to have the ball, but end up not being able to, to keep it good enough, and end up winning, and other games being completely uh, trash like uh, they were against cow.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and we, as I say, we, we spoke about the squad and the the quality, and obviously cow had that sort of complete transformation at the start of the season. Obviously, they had really good season last season under João Pedro Sousa. They had a lot of players on loan through connections with other clubs and they sort of had a have a little bit of a revamp. But they've found themselves finding a little bit of stability and at the right time as well. And I think that is just... It's just what's needed at this point. I'm just looking at the wing column. Familiar one won five. Ferenza have won five. Nacional have won... Five, Five, and then Vista have won four, and then funnily enough, Marítimo on the bottom have won six. So they've they've won more games this season than than seventeenth, sixteenth, fifteenth, and fourteenth place, and the same as thirteenth. But it seems to be that draws this season are a really important, a really valuable currency. Should I say because the sides that have that can, and maybe it's on those days when you're getting beat or you're in a game where you're clearly second best, can you get a point from it? Can you just get a, you know, can you get a draw? Can you get a point on the board, add it to the tally and, and move on to next week? And Maritimo, they've they've only drawn three games all season. You look at someone like Bill Inces, who were in 10th place, uh, you know, five points better off. They've won less games than Maritimo, but they've drawn 11 times. And obviously, you know, a team who draws every week, sometimes it might not be the most entertaining football to watch. But for someone like them, I think in those games, in those crunch games, when you're playing against, you know, the teams who are around you. And also the bigger teams as well, because you're looking at the teams who are maybe 8th, 7th. And then above, and those teams that are in the, the, the European hunt, shall we say, the likes of Vittoria, Guimaraes, passes passes to Freire, and then obviously onto, onto the uh, top four. But, you know, if you can get an unexpected point in a game like that where you're not really thinking about getting something, it's valuable currency to, to add to the type, uh, to the total. So, yeah, and then Familiar, you your point you made before, I think the... It will be interesting to see what happens in the next in the next couple of weeks in terms of how far they will um, how far they pull away. Can they? Because they'll be looking now above them rather than below them. They'll be thinking they're in fourteenth place at the minute. You'd think we were speaking before about points and how many points you'd need. Another another three or four wins for Familiar Cowell to the ten games, which is a big ask to be honest, because we're, we're asking teams to win three or four games out of the next ten, we've won five games all season, so it is difficult, but I don't know, I just, I'm really, I'm really caught up in it as well, because usually we're we're, uh, have like a nice title battle on our hands, but that's not happened this season due to uh, Sporting's dominance. So it's it's uh, there's, I think there's a lot more attention being centred on the relegation fight and also the fact that there's just so many teams that are caught up in it.
1: And on Family will be interesting to see. The, the next two games will be at home against Passus and then they go away to play Sporting. So thinking they are quite hard games, if, even if they lose both two games, then it will be interesting to see if the team still be level in their heads and thinking okay this was quite two very hard games and we have the rest of the season to to pick the points from the leagues they are the, the teams they are around us or if they're going to be because they're quite a young team they'll be like okay uh this is not working as well so that's going to be the the worry uh, for me which is i think what the coaching staff is going to have to do and if i was in that case i would have to do is to Putting the belief they are able to take points from these teams, but even if they're not able to pick up from these teams, thinking that's fine. This is two free games to play, and then the games after that with Nance, Gilles, and Tondela, those ones will be for real. But with yeah. the young teams, sometimes it's easy for you to to lose the hand of them because the heads go down quite easily.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a mental game, isn't it? It's a psychological game, and as you say, they use a it was a nice phrase there. I think you said like it's like a free game. And just to flip that on its head fully, two difficult games, as I say, you're expecting them to come out with zero points. But then if you flip it round, imagine the boost for those young players if they can get a result in either one of those games. And, you know, for example, say they... Because the first game is... The next game is Passos, right? And then Sporting after that. So if they can get a good result against Passos, it almost softens the blow of... If they don't get anything at Sporting, like if they get a, a point, or if they manage to pull off a shock win, then going into the game with Sporting, then it's it's even more so as like a free pass. Because if you're coming into that thinking, right, this was six points on our fair, we were expected to get zero. We've now got either one or three. We're now about to play the league leaders who haven't lost a game all season. Listen, if you walk away without a point. You know, it's fine. Not many teams in the league. I've have have uh, I've played sport. I think I've managed to get anything from them. As I say, still unbeaten. So it is interesting to see. But you make a good point there because I think it's a lot easier for coaches to say to to young players, "This is you know, this is a free hit. This is you know, this is fine. Just do yourselves proud with the performance." It's a lot easier to say that than actually it actually come out in in the players heads because sometimes convincing the players and they especially when they're young uh, the the mental state a loss or especially you say they're the feeling of it's not working again you only need to lose a couple of games and the players automatically start to think here we go again you know this this is this is just exactly what i expected and it's sort of like that negativity can creep in so very very good point on that moving to the top of the table amazing moments that we saw at the end of, of the sporting game when the cameras captured uh, a player who, who had just made his his debut for sporting uh, I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation of his name but the first name, Dario I think it is, yeah, Dario. Dario he turned 16 years of age which will be now 7 days ago, a week ago It uh, just brought to absolute tears at the end of the game the Sporting in the. We'll move on to the game itself. But if you haven't saw that, go to the. The image on the Twitter. It's on the pinned tweet as well. So you should see it right at the top. And it was just. I'm just looking at the clip now. It's just amazing. Just an amazing moment. And you see the first player to go over is Joel Pallina. What a player. What a man. He goes over and he's sort of giving him those words of encouragement. And and that. Pallinha in, in himself, that's a player who's. His journey to the first team in sporting has been less than straightforward. He hasn't, you know, sort of came straight out of the Academy and been in the team there and then he's had to go out alone and do his bits and work for it and and is now getting the rewards with the Celisau call up. It was just nice to see him go over and then obviously the rest of the the rest of the players as well. Uh, and even when the players sort of walk away, you see him sort of break down again. It's just a it was one of those clips, really wholesome, really nice, uh, really nice moment for him. Um, but just on the just on the game, initial thoughts: one 0 win against Vitoria, a team who were always going to be up there, always going to be a difficult game as well. I think until the
1: um, the first goal that then after got uh, ruled out because the ball went out. Until that moment, I think there's around 35 minutes. It was probably the the one of the best uh, Alfa hours that Sporting have played this season. It was so so superior. Gimenez tried to adapt um, to how Sporting normally play. Uh, sporting, uh, Ruben Amorim made a, a change. There, there was good. He's been hinting about it for for quite a few weeks. That something had to change in the way they play, not the structure, but the little tweaks. And um, in this game was obviously Daniel Breganza playing behind uh, Tiago Tomás and Pere Gonçalves to make another play in the middle. And it changed completely because Sporting could try to play through the middle because they had another player only there to to help to connect the pieces but then Nuno Mendes and Pedro Porro were perfect as well because they were completely open up the pitch which meant the wing backs from Guimaraes had to keep an eye on them and close in sight uh if Tiago Tomás was making a run towards the ball then against or pedro Gonçalves tried to go in behind or if pedro go, or De, um, daniel braganza couldn't receive a ball in the hole he would move uh, wide to the half spaces to, to try to receive the ball straight from from john or and mario and those first 35 minutes were very very good from sporting so uh then the goal came in after actually uh, the the best moment of Guimarães where they had a few chances to to actually score and then um quite a bit of luck on, on the goal because there was a lot of misses, heathers for the uh, Gonzalo Inácio goal. So. But the first half an hour was perfect. And uh, honestly, since, I don't know, probably the game against Guimarães, where we were uh, Sporting won 4-0 as well, I don't remember a bad half an hour that Sporting actually played.
0: Key word, I was thinking, they looked so fluid. Like the the, the movement was so fluid. The, the, like, the transitions... Pedro Gonsalves was getting on the ball, uh, impacting the play. A player who, who you just mentioned there started Daniel Braganza. What a player! What a what a talent! I I like Daniel Braganza because there's a part of me, and this isn't saying that he's not a functional player because he really is, but I'm a huge admirer of like you know aesthetically, like aesthetically pleasing footballers. And what I mean by that is is. Even when he does the simple stuff, he he just makes it look so good. It makes it look so effortless. He's the type of player who, who you can make. You know, you see these compilation videos on Twitter and like YouTube and stuff, and it'd be like highlights and best moments and stuff. He's such a highlight reel player without being like overly flashy. Because there was a moment yesterday when he he received like he's pointing for it. He receives the ball. He turns away from someone and then, like, I think he puts it, like, goes from his left, puts it on his his right foot and then just switches the play out to Noodle And it was, like, it it wasn't, like, a major moment in the game, but it just looks so good. And um, I always see people, like, online on social media and stuff talking, like, arguing between aesthetics and, like, functionality. You know, those players who are just freaks for goals and assists and constantly put up numbers. And then those players who just... Are enjoyable to watch. I don't know whether you agree with me or, or what, but he's just such a nice player to watch. I mean, I don't know, it's the highest part, pop- without even getting like tactically deep, it's the highest compliments I can play. It's like when he- I enjoy watching him play football, like I pay to watch him play football. Thoughts yeah, on him?
1: You're right. The, the best thing that I, I find he has is he already knows what he's going to do with the ball before the ball gets to him. Yes, so, that, and he understands yeah. the moment of the game so well. He understands that if he has needs to have two touches to take himself the ball away from the pressure, he's able to do that. But most of the times he understands that when he gets the ball, he's going to be already under pressure. And he already knows which center mid will be free for him to play the ball to. And reading the tempo of the game, it reminds me a lot, obviously not, not as good because um, Xavi was, was a different level, but in the way that he already knows what's going to happen, of uh, the play so simple, so short, is very shavi type, type of thing. And, and yeah, it's so cool when you see a player that looks like he's watching the game from above. So you have those games, they are very good in the individual technique that they're about to do. But there's games that look like they watch the game from a different perspective and understand everything that goes around them. And I think that's what Daniel Braganza have since now and since he was he was a kid when he started everyone knew he was going to be a big player the only problem that he had and now he's changing was without the ball how aggressive can he actually be and now he's much more aggressive but still uh sometimes the game and in the second half was that was able to be seen which is sometimes the game goes over him and he's not able to impact anymore because sporting when he doesn't have the ball and he started to get tired, he cannot hold the game anymore. And when he's supposed to to cover spaces, he got tired and, and he made it a lot harder for himself. But technically and understanding the game and the spatial awareness he has is is brilliant.
0: He sort of kept it ticking over. And again it comes from I like that analogy he used there of watching the game from above. Like where you can see things that other players on the pitch can't see. And I feel like that's why he's so good when he receives the ball under pressure, because it's it's almost like he's got a three sixty camera. If that makes sense, you know, like he's got that wide scope of, as you say, who's free, who's not, uh, where, what spaces he's going to be pressurized in, where the players who are pressing him are coming from. Are they coming from the left, the right? Are they going to come straight in behind? Uh, who's the covering player? But I feel like he he um, he, he has reading and understanding of the game is just is superb, and because he thinks two steps ahead, he very rarely makes mistakes with the ball because. If he can already see what he's about to do, he already knows what will work and what what won't. So, yeah, he's just I know sort of went off on a on a Daniel Berganza propaganda type train there, but you know that's against the team who are right up there as well in in Vitoria who who came into the game in 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 pretty poor form to be honest, but are still still up there. Whether they can. You know, because it, it looked at one point, so I just want to focus on them for a sec. It looked at, at one point as if you had the top four in the likes of Sporting, Porto, Benfica, Praga. And then there was the the fifth and the sixth team, who is Vitoria and, and Passos de Freire. And it sort of as time's going on, you they've lost four of their last five games. Their last win was, was the 2-1 against Bole Since then, they were beaten 2-1 by Passos. They were beaten 3-0 by Braga. They were beaten 4-2 by Silva Sint and then they lost 1-0 to Sporting, so some you know difficult opponents in there, but Santa Clara had three points off them now, and it, it looked as if that 5th and 6th position was sort of in a little mini-league, uh, away from 7th and below, and also they, they weren't... It looked like it'd be difficult for them to get near that top four. And you're looking now, Passos in 5th has six points off Braga, Vittoria just three points off, off Santa Clara, and they obviously got a good... A good team, they've got good quality depth in depth as well. They've had some central defence issues in in the in, in in recent weeks. They started with a with a back three yesterday of, of Fernandez, Agu and Amaro, I think it was the other central defender. So they've had a little bit of difficulty defensively, but another loss and they'll be hoping that doesn't continue because say, Santa Clara, they win the next game and Vittoria lose. They can soon drop down into seventh and eighth position, and and what they're really aiming to do is be pushing for those European places, especially with some of the talent that they've got, and the likes of Marcus Edwards. It's, it's it's difficult to see him, especially if they don't get any European football, which it looks like they won't. Difficult to see him be in there next season, and they've got some other, you know, young talented players there as well, and and then bringing in the likes of Kuresma to sort to have that impact if 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 not from starting, but coming off the bench. But, um, yeah, not not being in the best form uh, recently, but um, no, we'll see what happens with them. And then the game actually tonight, fully, just before we move on to, to Porto v Porto Manense, a side who were putting into some some form that we predicted, We said, when they were coming into the last, say, 15, 10 games of the season, they will really start firing up the engines and, and getting that form in gear, and it's Benfica who, looking at their last five games, they haven't conceded the goal. Uh, they came in to uh, a game today, they won 2 0 against uh, Braga, and uh, yeah, another win. So that comes after the 3 0 Belenenses, the 2 0 Creo Ave, 2 0 Vibol and putting together some nice form towards the end of the season. The That, that Champions League space will be the the priority for for the time it looked like the second place would have been you know Porto and Braga possibly for the third place but what you see just before we get into the game do you see the do you see that table finishing like that Sporting Porto and Benfica for those three Champions League places
1: uh it's, it's another hard question really because uh, I don't think none of them is going to win all the games until the end. Obviously, because there's still games to be played between them, but I think there'll still be uh, bad spells for all of them. And Braga, the last two games, because even last week against Famalicão and 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 today against Benfica, I know they go ten men uh, with an hour still to play, but even before that, there was they looked like a different team. <laughs> they spent mm-hmm. so much time playing twice and three times a week, and uh, Carvalhal was was complaining about it. But now, since they went back to playing once a week, they they look worse. Yeah, they because do. they were not able to to control the game. So Benfica went back to a back three, to 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 stabilize themselves and almost going man for man um, with Braga. Yeah, B- but they completely control the game. They had more ball. Braga never really looked doing any threat uh, to to Benfica. After the sent-off, everything got a lot easier, but I was very, very disappointed in how, how Braga faced the game, because they looked like they were not able to, to impact Bifik in any way. They tried a few times down to, to uh, Lukáš uh, Vrissim's side with, to, with uh, Galeno, but, but apart from there, they were so poor, they couldn't press them high. Only twice they were actually able to to win the ball high on the pitch, but apart from that they weren't able to press them. They couldn't keep the ball for too long either because Benfica got the triggers to when to go pressing and and recover the ball in the middle quite quite well as well. So very, very disappointed. So I think these two well, two weeks break will be good for them to try to to reassess and and focus because they only is one point behind Benfica and four behind Porto. So it's hard to say straight away that they're going to finish fourth because obviously we know their quality and how well they can play, but but they need to to turn this around because against Flamengo wasn't good and, and today wasn't good again.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't we can't just write write them off because we've saw, you know, the football in particular, not just the productivity in terms of the points on the board, but how well they can actually play. But I'm just the same as you. I was I was disappointed to be honest, and I know it's it's easy to say as you say Francesco sent off for a, a, a second yellow card which was debatable at best to be honest I mean that you can see both sides of the argument he's he's kicked and he's made contact um, It's one of those sort of high foot challenges and then you watch the replay and his foot I mean for a high foot his foot's not very high he's sort of he didn't know. Was it Chafa Silva who came in with and won the ball? Just got there quicker. Yeah. And he sort of left his leg there. He didn't know he was there. I just think with something like that, can the can the ref blow up for a free kick and just play on, like like that's it? You know, yeah, yeah. Is it a yellow card? You know, not not for me to be honest. But um, but as you say, you can't just turn around and say yeah, Benfica won the game because Braga went down to ten men because before the red card, Benfica were in total control. They had that chance. Was it Joao Neves hit hit the post? They had in terms of like the. Yeah, Sporane
1: has, Sporane has a, a couple of uh, half decent chances, but yeah, but, but well, Sporare in those two chances shows why he's not at Sporting because he Elton. Should have done, yeah. And late doesn't even make very good saves. He, the ball goes straight to him. He's yeah, incapable yeah. to. It doesn't to make place him whip, a wish, does he? It's
0: just, yeah. Yeah, he should be at least making the, the goalkeeper. And talking about
1: another, in the game, the the first goal, uh, Borgia again makes a, such a silly mistake which is when, I think it's Turmen or Bruno, they try to go and press high and the ball gets play around them, and Rafa makes a run to receive the ball in the middle and then actually end up scoring. And Borgia doesn't read the danger, lets him go, and then he gets the ball too late, and then you see him after complaining, I guess, with the centre back, with Bruno, which was the centre back in the middle, Saying that he shouldn't go and press, but okay, that that's fine. But when that moment happens, you only have a choice, which is or keep your line, or if you're already not in a good place because he was already starting his run backwards, he needs to gain in front of, of Rafa because otherwise it would be, well, uh, too easy for, for Rafa to score. So, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Carvalhal would be very disappointed because even with 10 or with 11 or then 10, they weren't able to, to create real danger.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was talking about then about the disappointment, disappointments, I was thinking about Carlos Cavial because I was thinking if there's any if there's any manager who be frustrated with that type of performance, it'll be him. He has such high expectations, he has such high standards, and uh, I just think, say it's it's hard speaking about the game after it when it's been something like a a sending off because you think about how that impa- impacts the game. But as I say, even before the sending off, they just didn't look. They just they didn't look right. They don't look like the team we used to see him. But I mean, everyone has blips in form, I suppose. And they pretty much a perfect season if you take out sort of like the Europa League knockout rounds and stuff. But they—they've—they've um, they've applied themselves like well, and they've got themselves into the position where they're even talking about qualifying for the Champions League, which is you know obviously mightily impressive. But just to go to a player who gets a lot of criticism. And he's a player that I love sticking on for because I, he's a player that continually will put numbers on the board. I think he's the second. Is the second highest scorer behind Pedro Gonsalves? I think he's two goals yeah, behind. Yeah, Severovic. He gets the goal and gets <laughs> and gets the assist. But I don't even want to speak about the goal. It's such a tidy assist for for the half a goal. He, he was. He's sort of like the ball comes into him and he plays it almost stretches a foot out with like the outside of his foot and plays it through. Uh, someone's legs is it is it Tom man? like I can't remember whose legs it was. But he, he sort of he plays it through into Haffer, and, and obviously it was a, a tidy finish. But I was like, go on, Harris! Like that was that was like <laughs> it was, He looked like a number ten. Like and then obviously scores. He misses chance after chance after chance. But it's, uh, it's incredible because you know I look at him, and if
1: I had the chance to buy him or another striker, I would go for another striker because the idea that you have in your head is technically is not gifted. He's not really fast. He misses a lot of chances. He cannot score Heather for even how long he <laughs> to tries. To save his life. <laughs> but then you look at like us expected goals, and so fine a season he has 10 expected goals, but he scored 13. So he's actually scoring more than so what he's, he's creating. <laughs> he's... But you look at him and you think, this fella loses a lot of goals. But actually, he misses a lot of chances, but he's scoring more than what's expected to him. Yeah which is incredible. Say that
0: louder for the people in the back that a, I didn't think I would have heard that because obviously I'm only half joking when I talk because say he does score goals and stuff but he's, he's not a player for everyone. But, what I never thought I'd hear anyone say is that Haris Seferovic outperforms his expected goals. <laughs> yes.
1: Because I never if expected to would... say it. So, this... No, I look for these stats while he was speaking to moan at you to be like, look at him. He misses so much <laughs> <But> Actually <laughs>
0: he completely backfired. Clearly some of these chances that he's missing he probably shouldn't be taking on anyway. <laughs> like <laughs> random shots from like angles where the chances are scoring are like one in fifteen. Um but but, yeah, he's... Uh, <laughs> as I say. I think Benfica will just keep signing a striker until they find someone <laughs> that can outperform and outscore Soverevich. It's like they're so adamant to replace him, but every replacement he signed doesn't seem, doesn't seem to be able to do it. He's like, yeah, he's the king and he won't let anyone yeah. have his crown. <laughs> and, you know, the
1: worst thing is going to be top
0: scorer. I honestly think he's going yeah, to end up scoring bill. more than, than Pedro Gonzalez. I, I think I genuinely think... I mean, he's two goals off. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Gonçalves now, and, and <laughs> there's 10 games left. But with there's Benfica,
1: pro- there's another question. She's, who would ever would say in the beginning of the season that the best Benfica would be without uh, Odisseas, the keeper, without Pizzi, without Everton, and without Darwin? Yeah, because I think still Darwin would work. Like It was when we, a few weeks ago, after the Ferenc-Benfica uh, game, that they drew nil nil. Then uh, Darwin and Serovich played together again up front and we were talking about and say those two together, they don't work. Yeah. If you bring Schmick with either of them, it's going to work better. And it then went. Darwin got injured, which was yeah. actually a blessing in disguise because he made um, Jesus changing how they play. And now everything is ticking, but was something so obvious to see, in my opinion, which was yeah. those two together would never work.
0: Because at the start of the season they were working together Waldschmidt and Darwin, as I say, the they um they were constantly laying on a play for each other, they were scoring goals, they were assisting goals. And um I thought, yeah, this'll be this is a real partnership, this this'll and this is like right at the start of the season and I remember thinking, Benfie can go far in both competitions here, they can go far. Obviously the aim after spending all that money was... was not only to win the league, but they wanted to obviously have a go in Europe. Didn't get into the Champions League, and I thought they'll go far in the Europa League with this partnership because Darwin, he's you know he was he was um, he was, they were looking good, and then as you say, he got an injury. Um, and uh, walchmidt started, didn't he tonight? He was yeah. So sort of, <laughs> on the left hand side, which... yeah, the left behind. Seferovic, and they had Crawford on the on the on the right, and then we go to another team at the top who uh, are 10 points off Sporting in second place, but a nice three-point cushion from uh, rivals Benfica, who they still have to play on the 9th of May. Uh, That is Porto. They played Porto Manense away from home and came away with a a 2-1 win. It wasn't a game for the ages, definitely not a game that will be released on DVD and spoke about in years from now. Um, Porto won courtesy of 2 own goals. The, the second was a, a delightful free kick from Sergio Oliveira, which came back and bounced on the back of goalkeeper Samuel's head and went in. Uh, which sort of, I'm sure Sergio Oliveira would have loved to have claimed that goal for himself because it was a nice free kick. But say came off the off the goalkeeper last. The um, the equaliser as it were was, was sporting minutes. That was uh, Fali Candy scored. On sixty-four minutes, sixty-four minutes. Sorry, another sending off for uh, Sergio Contessao. In the aftermath of the Samuel own goal from the Sergio Oliveira free kick, Sergio Conceição and Paulo Sergio. That's a lot of Sergio's. Uh, we're in a uh, scuffle on the touchline. Both managers, as I say, sent off. Uh, things got pretty heated. You had the players over there trying to sort of pull the uh, pull the managers away as it where It actually looked like roles reversed. you Usually, see the coaches. And pulling the pulling the players away, but this time it was both managers were incensed. It looked as soon as the goal went in that Sergio Consissau was saying something to to Paulo Sergio, which he didn't take kindly to. Uh, but as I say, pff, the game itself, not much to report on it. To be honest, as I say, it wasn't a classic. <laughs> Philippe thought.
1: Yeah, the the most interesting thing was the the almost fight between the the managers, which is not even a good scene in a a football match. But about the game itself, it was quite hard for Porto to break down Portium Nens because they they defended quite in a low block uh, with the 5-4-1, where actually Fali Kande was following Corona everywhere. So so it was basically taking Corona out of the game and it was very hard for Porto to create space through the middle. So what they tried to do was trying to use a bit of space um, behind the the fullback that would go up which was uh, Fali Kande. but there was quite a lot of wind and even uh, after the game sergio Oliveira spoke about it which is they're trying to use that space with uh, with a bit more power on the ball, but because it was too much wind it was the, the passes were too too heavy um they end up in the first goal they actually comes from that side when one of those balls they actually works and then in the second half it was a bit more open But actually, after the 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 goal from Porto and then the 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 problems between the 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 managers, actually took a bit of the the sting out of the game. So actually, Portuguese was high, but then there was too much in the head, and they start more more arguing between each others and and with the referee, and the game got a bit harder to to really analyze and, and to get a sense on it's going and, and it ended up not being a, a very good game because until the second goal from porto those first 15 20 minutes in the in the second half were quite quite good but after that was just was not a good watch uh, to be honest it looks like Porto just wanted to to finish the game put wasn't able to to actually create any danger after that and, and it was the last 20 minutes it, it could be it promised more than actually gave um this game
0: at the end yeah, I think that's a problem. Uh, that's probably a very astute, accurate summary of the game. As I say, it wasn't many, many events to to sort of comment on there. But again, it's a, it's another win. It's a way, it's a win away from home. It's another three points. And as I say, Porto they're leading the charge at the moment for the second Champions League place. They'll want that automatic uh, qualification spot. And we've saw this season just how impressive they could be. In, in Europe, so we'll just move on to that. I know it's uh, outside of the Premier League, but obviously, still got to remember that Porto were playing in European competition. And one thing I wanted to remark on is is after playing, you know, the that that epic match against Juventus, both home and away, and then in the second leg, playing hundred and twenty minutes and giving it his all. After twenty four minutes, we saw uh, Pip go down injured. He was replaced by Diogo Leite. So disappointing that we saw him go off injured, but he's played a lot of football, especially for someone who's 37 years of age. And, and obviously, he had a lot of injury issues at the start of the season. Little niggles here and there, out for the game, out for two, back in, out again. And he's built up, as I say, a bit of consistency in the last uh, couple of months. Played his heart out in that Juventus game. It was absolutely incredible. Echoes of, of Euro 2016 in there and it just in terms of how much it means for him for whatever badge he's got on his on his shirt he you know it seems at times he'd die for it to see him go off and you know if he could have played on as well he, he would obviously just that type of guy portugal have obviously got those international games coming up at the time of recording it's currently sunday night the games are on wednesday so this is probably going to come out monday or tuesday so uh, we'll wait to see I don't think has there been any announcements on that front um, has he been withdrawn I think is it Luis Neto that's being called up is that confirmed is it Philippe yeah so that's Pep
1: is out and Luis Neto will be the one going to with the national team which okay. which uh, is, is a bit I have mixed feelings about it for one hand in the last month he hasn't played much uh, apart from this game where he started because Quad was out um, but for the other end, uh, it's it's hard to find um, other centre backs that Fernando Sanchez knows as well. And of course, you can find Gosselinazzi has been playing uh, often, and, and I don't think no one will be shocked. I think the shock was he was not in the in the under twenty one squad. Uh, but um, but apart from there, you could you could even uh, f- talk about um, Ruben Smith. Um, he, he knows yeah, the team. He, he could have. He could have come as well. Uh, and he has. I don't know if he's trust about trust
0: as well. I don't. I don't, in team, yeah, I don't travel
1: know. restrictions nowadays to but it doesn't Possibly. make sense because Jose <sighs> is plays in the same team as him, so um, it's it's a odd one at the end. Uh, the it only way I see is because he knows the, the team. He knows from the center. Bayaru and Smed would, would fit the bill as well, and I think would be a better call than than Neto is. But mm. well. What do we
0: know? <laughs> it's um so we've got Gruben Diaz as as well he's the leader this in central defence. I mean I'd really like to see I love seeing him and, and Pep play together, but obviously that won't be the case this time. So other central defenders we've got there we've got Luis Neto and then we've also got Dominguez Duarte and, yeah, and uh, Front. Who, Even again, though he's not
1: going to be able to play against
0: play Serbia, the Serbia, yeah. So, if for anyone that doesn't know, we put a, a message out on on the social media. It still hasn't been resolved yet, as far as I'm aware. Uh, Joseph Font actually said in a in the sort of like a statement, he said, "the he hopes that the federation will resolve it with the league, but at this point in time, it looks like we will in quotations we won't be able to play against Serbia. So we." meaning the players who are based in France, the players who are playing in Ligon. So, Renato Sanche, um Josephont, Font, uh, Anthony Lopes, who, again, it was looking like, you know, really an, a starter against Serbia, especially in Rui Patricio's absence. And then also, who's our fourth man in, in France, Philippe? I forgot. Um. Who's our fourth guy? <laughs> Danilo Pereira. Danilo, that's it. We forget, we forget I completely <laughs> forget that he's at PSG. So that means going into that, central defence wise, we're looking at Hruben Dias and Dominguez Duarte. And in goal, Gruy Silva against Serbia. Because no Gruy Patricio, no Anthony Lopes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we've. I mean, to be fair, there's one positive you can take from that, and it's that Xhulu Silver and Domingos Duarte know each other inside out. They know the, each other's game, it uh, well, and it's always good for a goalkeeper when he's got sort of defenders in front of him that he knows and trusts um, to build up that relationship. You, you I mean, you don't have to ask a goalkeeper for how important the relationship is between defenders and goalkeepers so I mean there's that, that's. I mean if you're gonna I'm a positive guy I think positive sounds a thing so um, but obviously Serbia out of the three games it, it is the most difficult game so it's I, it's not ideal that that's the game that we're without league on players and then as I say the likes of Julio Patricio and Pep won't be making it to, to any of the games is disappointing but hopefully Portugal can get the job done in the two games either side the games against Azerbaijan and Luxembourg and then, yeah, Serbia game's big. As I say, that that was always the one going into it with who've they've got the most the more talented squad out of those three sides that were are playing. Uh, so hopefully, there's enough there on the pitch for Fernando Santos to to get the job done. That's the twenty fourth, the twenty seventh, and the thirtieth. If I'm right, we'll be putting out a podcast just after the thirtieth. So literally, final whistle, hopefully on the thirtieth or the day after reaction on the three games we'll be talking about what what have we learned from this international break at this point in time obviously we don't know how we're going to get on are we going to you know win all three games or is this going to be you know bumps along the road we don't know but we'll be doing a pretty much full summary of the three games the players that they used the performances the good the bad what have we learned so really looking forward to that um but Oh yeah, so me me grudge against Philippe. So basically, we do our prediction game, which I'm sure Philippe's got. I don't know actually. Has he got international predictions? Of course. Oh, really? How are you going to pick Portuguese abroad when they're all playing for Portugal? <laughs>
1: so you must just just be picking neutral games no 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 we're gonna go and predict the entire group stage of Portuguese Portugal games of the under 21s jeez
0: that's a task tough so our last game I got zero right out of (laughs) three I got zero out of three and Philippe says Aaron you got zero and then obviously him and Marino are laughing at me and I'm just like (laughs) you know take it on the chin whatever um, it is what it is and then he's like we didn't have an outright winner this week we had lots of people who got one uh, well done to everyone that played blah, blah 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 and I thought I haven't asked Philippe how many he's got like you know you're laughing at me for getting zero so I go Philippe this is like 10 minutes later isn't it I go how many <laughs> have you got and you go oh zero and I'm like so so what was all that about you uh, you laughing at me for getting and he goes I didn't think you were going to ask me how many so he was just trying to, they were having cheap laughs at me. Full
1: convinced I couldn't yeah. laugh at you without having to that, say how bad I was as well.
0: That's not how it works. You can't laugh at me for doing the exact same thing you did. So, <laughs> so well done to those who those who know who who played. I haven't got the names, but those last week uh, who put in the predictions. I think pretty much everyone who put in a prediction got at least <laughs> one, right. one point. So, Just me
1: and you were like zeros.
0: <laughs> we're the ones who know the least about Portuguese football, clearly. So, but um... yeah,
1: for yeah, because obviously last the last podcast we had a problem, so, but we still done our predictions game and I still want to tell how many points we made. Hey. So the games from this week are obviously Braga-Benfica, Sporting-Imaraes and Atletico madrid Al- Alavés. On Braga-Benfica, me, I did as a draw. You and actually Marin were very convinced Braga was going to do well, so we put a Braga win, so none of us get a point out of this. Then Sporting in Orange, I put Sporting win. You and Marine put a draw, so I get a point. Damn. Boom. I'm in the lead. And we then on Athletic, and Marine, everyone was <laughs> everyone was very convinced on Athletic but actually they won, ball only one nil, and everyone gets a point. So in this week, I have two oh. points and you have one point. So in overall, we actually equal three points each. Okay. After okay. Three, three, three rounds way. of games, so it's not nice. too bad.
0: No, no, we're not doing too bad. And then you wanted to do, what what are your games?
1: It's going to be tricky because first of all, Portugal will be involved in all of them. So it's hard to bet against them. But we're going to go for the under 21 group stage. So the first game, we are playing Croatia, which has a very good team. And this actually gives me excuses to talk about um the under twenty ones of a play to watch. <laughs> so in Croatia if people are watching watch a centre back called Gvardiol, which is gonna be an absolutely beast, it's already signed for Leipzig. But yeah, Portugal against Croatia. One X or two. Don't need to ask me which who plays at home because is in It's a neutral Hungary or Slovakia.
0: Um... It's, you can't do this because every single game I'm going to pick <laughs> Portugal even when I don't think Portugal are going to win no I, I think the 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 Croatia game yeah I think Portugal will start it off with a win I think they've, they've got to start it off with three points because I think the second game is the game against uh, Inglaterra so yeah I think
1: so, yeah, I put Portugal as well I think to be we, fair yeah. of the groups uh, Croatia is the, the weaker team
0: uh, yeah, out of the yeah, group
1: yeah. then second game yes will be the big one Portugal against England
0: I'm going to go with a... I'm going to go with a draw in that. And this this under-21 generation of ours is obviously so talented. But there's so many players who aren't getting regular game time. And and I don't think there's a substitute going into a tournament for, for game time. And obviously, some of the... I mean... The players who actually had the most game time going into it, who you're most confident about, the likes of Rafael Liao. I've dropped out of the tournament now with injury. He's not going, so he's one of the most important players, and he, he won't be there. Obviously, you got the likes of Trincao, who's been playing sort of in, in you know, spurts and spots for, for Barca recently and making a good impact at that. Uh, Jota, Valladolid has dropped out with injury. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos has joined up with the squad and so is Joao Mario from from FC Porto so it's even in terms of the midfield there's a because obviously I know you want a prediction but just think to give a bit of context because a lot of a lot of this stuff obviously we spoke about on that the missing podcast is um we got a lot of players coming into it who who haven't kicked the ball much recently and the likes of Tino in midfield, Florentino Luis, and Jetson Fernandes, and players that are supremely talented, but for one reason or another just haven't been able to sort of kick on in the last year or year and a half. England, on the other hand, I've got a lot of players who are playing regular football and players who are playing regular football at a very high level. The only reason why I won't go for a defeat is because I think Portugal have still got a lot of talent in the ranks, and I think if they can... They can hold England to a good game. Obviously, I'm hoping they go out and, you know, absolutely batter England, but I just don't think that'll be the case. I think it'll be a very hard-fought game. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with a draw. I know that was a very long explanation, but there were yeah, some was some pe- people who had injured, people who have dropped out, people who've come in, and some people might not have known. So yeah, I'm going to go for a draw. What about you, Philippe?
1: Me, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to go for, for England. I, I think... I think individual quality, I think they are a bit superior than uh, than Portugal. But then adding up to that is the fact that they have a lot of people playing uh, very, very, very regular in, in their clubs. And Portugal doesn't have a. So I, I went for England. And then the last game, which will be probably the decisive one to remind people, this is the first tournament of the Under-21s where two teams per group go through. So we're going to have a, a quarter-finals, which is uh, the first time it happens in these under-21s will be Portugal against Switzerland Um, who are you going for?
0: I'm going to go for for Portugal on that in terms of man-for-man quality I'll probably put England and Portugal up there together in terms of quality going into the tournament I'll go England Portugal, Switzerland, Croatia so hopefully I mean, if Portugal can get those two wins that'll be enough to see us go through I hope Uh, and then if you can get something from England then brilliant but what about yourself?
1: me i went for a draw uh because Ooh. i look at this switzerland score and i see players which they are playing um often in their clubs and and they have a lot of quality like players like leonidas from st Gallen, very young center back but very very good then they have in the center mid toma from gang then up front have one of the youngest players there that's going about to to be a complete uh, beast is, is is so so good with uh, Noah uh, Okafor from, from Salzburg so they have a very good team but I, I, I still think four points might be enough because depending on, on how then we'll be on goals and stuff so the last game is always hard to predict because we'll depend on so much because yeah. going in for this game it might be enough for Portugal or might be enough for Switzerland so
0: that's been episode number eight of the Portuguese football show. Thanks to everyone for listening. Philippe thank you as always for coming on. Thank you, bro. See you next week. See you next week. Bye bye. He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo. And then Ronaldo. Oh, what a goal by Cristiano Ronaldo. Sensational. Ronaldo Silva Smacks in
1: City second.
0: Here comes Eddie. Not got much help, oh, he doesn't need any
1: help, how about that,
0: Portugal, and tonight they've been simply magnificent, champions of Europe
1: 2016.